There was a time in my life when I would walk into a room like this and think, you know, I must be the most spiritual person in the room. (laughs) I became a Christian in university, and I had an association with a campus Christian fellowship group, and it was very intense. And you know, for the first time in my life, I was studying the Bible systematically, and I was interacting with my fellow students in dorm rooms, you know, having Bible studies, and we were sharing our lives with each other and praying for each other. We were memorizing Bible verses and challenging each other to memorize Bible verses. And then we would get together two by two and we would go out and knock on doors and talk to people about the Lord in the dorms. And we would have prayer meetings for places all over the world, you know, that needed the gospel. And we would go to rallies and conferences and students in the dorm would come to Christ. And let me tell you, that was exciting. That was fulfilling. And then we would be involved in their lives We would follow them up. We would teach them how to study the Bible. And you know, that was intense. And then I graduated. (laughs) And I took my first job in an unfamiliar city to me. You know, I didn't know anybody. Didn't have any church relationship. And so, single, you know. Here I was going around trying to find a good church. And so I'd go to this church and spend several weeks there. And then I'd go to this, you know, college and career group, you know, and I would get to know a few people and see what they did. And it got to where, you know, I must be the most spiritual person in the room. (laughs) It wasn't nearly as intense as I was used to. I hope you find this as an appropriate introduction to our text for today. It's known commonly as the parable of the tax collector and the... Pharisee, Pharisee and the tax collector, okay? This is from Luke 18, 9 through 14. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, open up there and follow along with me as I read, or there's a chance it'll be up on, there it is, up on the screen, and you can follow it on the screen. Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
This parable is a big contrast, right? It's simple, easily remembered. Maybe in your own Bible study sometime, you could sit down. How, just take a little piece of paper. How many contrasts can you identify stated or implied in this parable? I think you come up with all kinds of contrasts. Maybe some of the more obvious ones maybe a little less obvious, like the contrast between outward appearance and inner reality, right? Like the contrast between the socially respected and the socially outcast. Like the contrast between works and grace, right? All kinds of contrasts. We'll be talking about a lot of these contrasts today. I'm so impressed that Jesus is a master storyteller. I wish I could tell stories like Jesus told. He carefully crafts his parables. In this one, he's using extremes to make a point. His choice of words is succinct. He's got the element of surprise Here in this little parable, maybe you don't recognize it because we're so used to it, but it would have been surprising to the first hearers. He is countercultural in this parable and spoke to a contemporary situation in his time. I think his depictions, very briefly, of the tax collector... And the Pharisee, all the hearers would have recognized. They would have said, you know, that's accurate. That's the way it is. And so he was a master communicator. Perhaps there's some critics today who would read a parable like this. And they would have some questions in their minds. They would say, You know, Jesus, it looks like you are profiling or stereotyping whole groups of people, right? And they're the kind of people that everybody knows. In first century Jerusalem, Judea, I think everybody in the course of a week or a month would have come across a Pharisee. Almost all, maybe all, of the rabbis were Pharisees. If you just went to the synagogue, there was a Pharisee. And we all know nobody can escape a tax collector. (laughs) Everybody knew a tax collector. So there's Jesus. And you know, the effect of this brief parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, is to further stereotype those people, isn't it? And you know, we hear Pharisee today and we may chuckle, right? They become a laughing stock. Look at this guy. He doesn't even see himself, right? And so the critics might say, you know, Jesus, aren't you judging these people and inviting the hearers of this parable to judge others? And today we so frequently hear, don't judge. And the idea expressed when people say don't judge 
is something like, you know, you can never say anything negative about anybody or any group of people. And if you do, you're unloving, unkind, and it might even be labeled hate speech. Is this what Jesus is doing here? What does Jesus' teaching here have for us today? How can we apply it in our lives? Well, everybody who's heard me speak knows that I like to do observation, interpretation, and application, you know, kind of systematically. And so we're going to do that today. Bear with me. Big contrast, right? Tax collector and the Pharisee. Do they have any similarities? You ever ask that question? Well, of course they do. They're both men. They're both Jewish. They're both in the same place at the same time, doing the same thing, right? Pray. I think because we find them in the temple, I would conclude because they're Jewish, And because they have a respect for God, that they're both ceremonially clean, according to the Jewish law. I would think that would be a conclusion that we could draw from these guys. Both the Pharisee and the tax collector are probably at least middle class or maybe upper class. The tax collector actually might be fabulously wealthy. The Pharisee, he's probably not... He doesn't belong to the group of the poor in society. He's pretty well off, pretty well educated. They each operate in their own social circles, don't they? Who do Pharisees like to hang around with? Pharisees. Maybe some Sadducees, right? That's the guys they like. And we know from the teaching of Jesus Who do you link the tax collectors with? Tax collectors and sinners, right? Those are the kind of people that they hang around with. Now, if you saw these two people standing in the temple praying, how would you know which one of them is a Pharisee and which one of them is a tax collector? Well... If you notice a tattoo on one of them, he's not the Pharisee. In the law, tattoos are forbidden, right? Leviticus 19.28, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. So they don't look like Pastor David. Pastor David, of course, has beautiful tattoos on his arm, right? Have you ever wondered how much he had to pay for those? (laughs) Have you ever wondered about the tattoos you can't see? (laughs) Okay, back to the parable here. Uh The Pharisee is a good guy, moral, right? Respected. Religious, he knows his Bible, he prays, and there's no indication that he is a liar. 
right? Everything he says in his little prayer, there's no indication that he is lying about that. He thanks God that he's not an adulterer, and he isn't. He's faithful to his wife, okay? He says he tithes. He does tithe. He says he fasts twice a week in excess of the requirements of the law. He does. He is that kind of... Let me tell you, if you had a business dealing, you'd much be much better off doing it with a Pharisee than with a tax collector. So he's got a lot of good points. Of course, many glaring negative points that he doesn't seem to see. Somehow he can't discern his own pride. He is unrepentant. He's falsely confident of his relationship with God. And he is, of course, spiritually blind, right? But religious. Now, the tax collector... That guy's a terrible guy. You don't want to have dealings with this guy. Unrighteous, hated, feared. Most people want to try to avoid him. People in Jewish society would have kind of viewed him as a collaborator with the Romans, you know? A traitor to their own people, collecting taxes for Rome, those that he didn't put in his own pocket. An extortioner, a compromiser, a guy who's just out for himself. That's a tax collector. But, you know, he does have some good points, doesn't he? He's religious to a certain extent. He's there praying in the temple. And when you look at his prayer, he's repentant. He's ashamed. He's humble. He's praying desperately. This is a guy, in contrast to the Pharisee, is not spiritually blind. He's spiritually seeing. Now, Jesus carefully crafted this parable, not just picking the people, but the place. Did you ever think about that? He could have said the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and the Pharisee in his home was praying, and the tax collector was in his home praying, or whatever, but he said in the temple. Why is that important? Why did he choose to make this presentation in the temple? Of course, the temple is the holiest place of the Jews, the place of God's presence, the place of drawing near to God. And that's a surprising element right here at the beginning of the parable. Everybody in Jesus' society expects to see a Pharisee in the temple. Nobody expects to see a tax collector in the temple, right? They don't go there. So perhaps this is a little bit of what the literary people call foreshadowing. Something's happening here that's surprising, that's special. He not only picks the people and the place, but also the time. We glimpse these people just at one brief moment in their lives, right? The time of personal prayer. You ever think about that? Suppose we were privy to one another's deepest times of personal prayer. 
when you pour out your heart to God, when you agonize before the Lord, what would we learn about you that we don't normally see in our everyday interaction? I have a prayer time every morning. Probably just like that Pharisee. Not the same content. I get my cup of coffee. I sit in my easy chair in the living room. I read the Bible. And I pray. I pray praising and thanking God for the good things that He has done. I confess my sins. And I'll... I spend a fair bit of time praying for other people, myself and others, my needs, requests. I make a lot of requests. I pray for my family. I pray for the things that I'm doing, my relationships, my finances. You know, I pray for all these things. I pray for things around the world. People who are in prison for their faith. I pray for issues like national uh, disasters around the world, you know, and relief and all this kind of stuff, the spread of the gospel. I pray for revival in our country. That's what I pray for. Do I ever thank God that I'm not like other people? <laughs> you know, sometimes I do. But not in the same way as this Pharisee, because my thinking is more like, but by the grace of God, thank you, God, that I, I, I'm not a criminal in prison. Thank you, God, that I'm not suffering from this or that addiction. You know, thank you, God, that today I'm not depressed. I'm not suicidal, whatever, you know. And I know it's but by the grace of God. Big difference with the Pharisee. So these guys, these two guys are praying right there in the temple. And one of the details that Jesus includes is their body language, right? Tells you a lot about them. The Pharisee, standing, confident, bold, doesn't seem to be too much in awe of God's holiness, even though that's the place of his holiness in the temple. The tax collector Stands far off, eyes downcast, beating his breast. What does that tell you about him? He's burdened. He's deeply moved. He's contrite. All these kinds of things. The content of their prayer is what we notice as of having the biggest contrast, right? Pharisee's prayer, how would you sum it up? Well, self-praise, it seems, right? He assumes that God is pleased with him, and therefore he spends his prayer time recounting his merits and his sacrifices for the Lord, so God won't forget them. <laughs> he makes no request. Did you notice that? No request of the Lord, unlike me. The tax collector, just a simple, God be merciful to me, a sinner, a simple prayer of humble repentance, calling on God for his mercy. 
So the Pharisee's attitude, he's there exalting himself. The very thing that at the end of the parable, Jesus concludes is those guys will be humbled. And the tax collector is humbling himself before the Lord. And Jesus assures us that those people will be exalted. The bigger, biggest contrast in the conclusion, the tax collector goes to his home. He's justified. God accepted his prayer, right? But the Pharisee, unbeknownst to him, prayed and went home, not accepted by God. So why did Jesus tell this parable? Well, according to Luke, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So who's Jesus talking to? Just the Pharisees? Probably not. Anybody in the crowd to whom it applies, right? Even his own disciples, his apostles, who were jockeying for position. Okay, so a lot of contrasts. How do we interpret this thing? Well, one of the questions that this particular parable helps us to see is that the gospel that Jesus preached is exactly the same as the gospel that Paul preached, which is a question that a lot of people have, I think, as they read through the gospels and then say the book of Romans. They say there seems to be a big difference here, but look at this parable. Because Paul talks a lot about justification, right? Being declared righteous before God. And that's used right here in this parable, in the words of Jesus. Is it the same thing? Well, Paul is careful to clarify. Justification is by grace through faith. Only by grace through faith. And yet we read this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and it doesn't use those words. There's no mention of the word faith or of grace. Yet I see all kinds of links between this parable and Paul's teaching in Romans. Listen to this from Romans 2, 17 to 21. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? It seems to me Paul may have this parable in mind. The example of that Pharisee when he wrote this. Or maybe Paul is thinking of other parts of Jesus' teaching. Or maybe he's thinking of his own life because he was a Pharisee. You teach others. Do you not teach yourself? Can't you see yourself? And then I see another clear link in Romans 3, 21 to 25, where Paul talks about justification. 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Grace and faith, integral, inseparable from justification. So thinking about the parable, do you see faith in this parable? The word isn't mentioned. Is it there? Well, if faith just means believing God exists, then both the Pharisee and the tax collector have faith, right? They both believe in God, His existence. If faith means relying only on God and not yourself, looking directly to God for forgiveness and not to works, then the tax collector has faith and the Pharisee does not. So I think faith is there. How about grace? You see grace in this parable? It's inescapable, isn't it? In the justification of that tax collector. That terrible guy whose only prayer was, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I wish the English translations, God be merciful to me, communicated what I think is the depth of this Greek expression. God be merciful to me. That's how it's translated here in the parable. In Romans 3.25, is translated propitiation. Pretty different, huh? This word in the Greek is associated with the concept of request for atonement, forgiving of sin, cleansing from sin, turning aside divine wrath. It's almost like this tax collector standing there in the temple praying, God, atone for my sins. God, give me your forgiveness. And this would blow the minds of those who hear, heard this parable in the first century when Jesus was giving it. You know why? He's right there in the temple praying this. God atoned for my sins. Well, if you're a Jew, how do you get atonement? You offer a sacrifice. You bring a bull or a ram or a lamb or whatever is required according to the law and you offer that sacrifice that's your t- he's not doing that he's appealing directly and only to god and you know he got it because he went to his house just i think we have an example clear example right here from the teaching of jesus of finding justification directly and solely by grace through faith. Now, the more modern issue from the critics is that of judging. 
Should Christians judge others? Well, in this parable, I think you've got all kinds of layers of judgment. Some directly stated, some implied. Obviously, the first layer of judgment, the Pharisee in his prayer is judging the tax collector, right? Thank you that I'm not like that dirty guy over there, that terrible sinner. There's another layer of judgment in this parable right at the end where Jesus makes a judgment, doesn't he? I tell you, the tax collector went to his house justified and the other guy, that Pharisee, did not. That's a judgment. Another thing that that strikes us, you and me, when you hear the word Pharisee, what comes to your mind? We've read the New Testament. A Pharisee, of course, is a self-righteous, spiritually blind, judgmental legalist, right? That's who those guys are. But you know, in the first century, society didn't view Pharisees that way. The Pharisees in Jesus' day would have been judged positively. They were the role models for society. And the tax collectors, you know, they would have been judged very negatively. So you come to another layer of judgment as a result of this parable. And that is, in the parable you detect how the Pharisee judges himself. He thinks he's pretty good, right? Positive. And the tax collector, in the parable, how does he view himself? Pretty negative, right? Their judgments are just directly in line with the common judgment of Jesus' day from the people of Jewish society, right? Pharisees are the good guys. Tax collectors are the bad guys. But in telling this parable, I think Jesus was wanting his hearers to temper that view, if not reverse that view. And he was encouraging his hearers to view the Pharisee and the tax collector not for their image or reputation, but for what's going on in their hearts. And for his hearers, for us today... Who becomes our role model when we hear the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? It's the tax collector, right? The guy who is honest. The guy who confesses his sins. The guy who is humble. He becomes the one that we want to emulate. Just completely countercultural to Jesus in his society of the day. And we're encouraged to judge. We're encouraged in this parable to agree with Jesus' judgment. We are enlightened by his teaching. And let me tell you, you can't go wrong if you judge things the way God does. God's judgment has to do with the heart. The final layer of judgment for Christians today 
we look at this parable, we look at both those guys, and you know, we say, they both need righteousness. They are both sinners. Neither one of them has anything to offer to God for his salvation, for his justification. The only difference really between those two guys is that one knows it and one doesn't. One looks to God for forgiveness and one does not. So how do we apply this? Do you identify with one of these guys or the other? Pharisee, tax collector? Well, good. That's great. Because, let me tell you, grace is available to both of those men. Both of those men could have gone to their houses that day justified. All it takes is repentance and faith. That's the gospel. That's the good news. This parable also helps me in my everyday walk as a Christian. When I feel guilty, when the Holy Spirit is convicting me of a sin, when I'm aware of a shortcoming or failing, I can remember this parable, you know. I stand before Jesus justified by grace through faith. I don't have to go around beating myself up. I just have to recognize, confess, and repent. I think this parable also has application in my life in teaching me how to be careful about viewing others. I think Jesus wants us to judge, but not superficially, not just with wholesale condemnation. It teaches me to kind of beware and take a second thought about people who boast about themselves, project their image, or are always concerned about giving a good impression and who look down on others. You know, those kind of people, because of teaching like this, I look for somebody who's got an open, honest heart, who's confessing his failings and his sins, who is humble. And then finally, this application. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, whenever I'm tempted to spiritual pride, I think 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know, understanding grace has made a big difference in my tackling of any temptation to spiritual pride. It's of grace. And I thank God that I no longer suffer with thinking myself the most spiritual guy in the room.